Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32, the book of Genesis, the 32nd chapter. I was once sitting in the Amarillo Airport about to board an afternoon flight to Dallas, and a jet arrived being passengers that didn't like your, like your ordinary panhandle personalities were deplaning. There was an enormous man of Herculean proportions, bulging biceps, powerful pecs. He caught my attention because he was not built in the ordinary proportions of a man. One by one, men with gladiatorial gusto walked off the plane, huge men, tall men, brawny men, flamboyant, bleached blonde hair, dark tan skin, followed by an entourage of women. I was puzzled, everybody was puzzled about who these visitors to Amarillo might be. Someone said they'd come to Amarillo for the wrestling matches that were going to take place on the weekend, those modern-day dramatic portrayals of good versus evil. Close as I ever came to wrestling fame was about a year ago when I preached Ronnie Mankin's funeral, and Terry Funk sat right there during the service because he was really, really good friends with Ronnie Mankin. Wrestling tends to be a man's sport, though every now and then someone declared that their grandmother is glued to the television every Saturday night for 10 years while she watches her favorite Hulk Hogan on television. Now, who would you want to wrestle back in the day? Would you want to go against Nature Boy, the Ultimate Warrior, the Undertaker, Psycho Kid, Ricky Steamboat, King Kong Bundy, the Avenger? All these are the names of actual wrestlers of days gone by. But there was the name of one wrestler that caught my eye. His name, his name was Mask Confusion. <laughs> when I saw his name, I, I knew I'd never seen him wrestle. But I'd read about one of his wrestling messages here in, in Genesis 32. This unknown warrior who brings as much confusion as he does clarity to the ring. We have his first match recorded all the way back in the Torah in the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 32. Genesis is a story of the patriarchs, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And no story of the patriarchs is more diced and discovered than this one because it's so difficult. You remember the Jacob story. He was one of the twins of Isaac. Abraham and Sarah had wanted a boy, and they were going to be a blessing to all the nations and have a great people numbered as the sands of the seashore or the stars of the sky, and yet they didn't have an heir. And God tells Sarah she's going to give birth to a boy, and she laughs because she's too old, and they name him Isaac, the son of laughter. Then Isaac finds Rebekah, and they have twins. You remember Esau and Jacob, and now Isaac is old. In this part of Genesis, it's time to give the blessing to the oldest Esau. He calls Esau into his tent and says, go and make me that savory dish that I love. Come back, I'll give you the blessing. And Rebecca overhears it. Rebecca says, no, 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 her favorite is Jacob. Jacob, you go and we're going to, you go to your father. You receive the blessing. But mama, I, I, Esau's hairy and, and I'm not. Well, we'll put on the kid's skin on here, the goat skin on your arms. And he put on Esau's robe and his father was confused, but he steals the blessing from his brother. You will be master of your brothers, Isaac says to Jacob. 
Your mother's sons will bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. Esau is furious all of his life, starting in the womb. Remember their twins, Jacob's name means the hill grabber, the deceiver. Even in the womb, he was trying to pull back his brother and become first. Imagine how angry Esau is that he's lost the blessing. In fact, the last words that Jacob hears Esau say are these, when daddy's funeral is over, I am going to kill you. Rebecca's afraid for Jacob's life, says, I have a brother named Laban, go and live with him. And what Esau, is he, he's angry, he's wanting revenge. The last words are a threat, a death threat against his brother Jacob. And now fast forward 20 years and Jacob has flocks and goats and camels and sheep and more flocks he knows what to do with. And he's headed home to the promised land. And the biggest question on his mind is how is Esau going to receive me? The last words I heard were, I will kill you the next time I see you. And so he's nervous. He sends his wives and his children and his servants over the other side of the river, Jabbok. And now he's on the other side all alone and he wrestles with God. It's an interesting story because he wins and yet he loses. He prevails and yet he limps. Uh, Frederick Beatner calls it the magnificent defeat. It's magnificent because he wins. It's a defeat because he limps and has his thigh dislocated. Somebody might call it a crippling victory. That's another modern language for what takes place here. Now, folks, this is not four three-minute rounds. This is an all-night match against mask confusion. Well, here's some questions. Who was the mysterious assailant, this masked man? Why was he fighting against Jacob in the first place? Why was God unable to defeat Jacob? Why did God appear to be, appear to be fearful about being overtaken by daylight? Why did he strike Jacob's thigh? And why wouldn't he tell Jacob his name? We're going to address these issues as we go through this passage. So pull up a chair, take a ringside seat, and get ready to rumble this morning. The wrestling match with God. The text calls the opponent a man. But we know better because he has the characteristics of God. He's able to bless like God. And in fact, when it's over, in fact, when it's over, Jacob says, I have seen God face to face. It hardly seems a fair contest. The mortal against the immortal, man against God, and God is the heavyweight champion of the cosmos. It's a strange story because God seems for a moment like a daddy wrestling a kid to limit his power, enough to give Jacob a fighting chance. And well, Jacob, the rascal, the deceiver, the hill grabber, wiry as he is, he holds his own against this representative of God. And as dawn is about to break, the sun is starting to shine, the mysterious adversary, this masked man knocks Jacob's hip out of joint with one crushing blow and insists that Jacob let him go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. He said, well, you've been called the deceiver, Jacob, but now you will be called Israel, the one who strives with man and God and yet prevails. Having arrived, Jacob, he leaves he leaves Israel. Yet the mysterious opponent refused to reveal to Jacob his name, for no one should control God by being able to call upon his name. 
Jacob, you see, never gets all that he seeks from God, but he gets all that he needs from God. Jacob never gets all that he seeks from God, but he gets all that he needs from God. He receives yet another blessing. Jacob is always getting blessed by someone, Isaac, and now by God. But he could not rip off the mask of his opponent. Jacob wants to know God's name. That mystery of the universe, that's the same sin of Adam and Eve trying to get rid of the distance between ourselves and God. That we have to wait until Exodus chapter 3 to learn God's name, right? It is Moses who finally gets God's name. His name is Yahweh. I am the God of being, the God who is, the God who creates, the God who redeems, the God who is everything. But that name is not to be given to Jacob, not on this day. God sometimes comes after those he loves the most. He does it against Moses. Sometimes God comes after those who are part of his purpose and his will. He does it with Job. In these stories, God is not wrestling with someone who's his enemy. Rather, God is wrestling with those who are his covenant partners in carrying out the will and the way of God. Vince Lombardi enjoyed a long reign with the Green Bay Packers. Sports writers noticed that there was one particular player on the Green Bay Packers that received all of Lombardi's or most of Lombardi's wrath. The sports writers were always writing about how Lombardi was getting on this particular player. There was a pastor there in Green Bay who had a member on the team who was also a member of the church. He was on the Green Bay Packers team. And he said, the sports writers say he's always after this particular player. Is that true? Oh, yes, that's absolutely true. He's Vince Lombardi's favorite. He's the coach's favorite, he replies. Sometimes God wrestles with his favorites. And Jacob, to be sure, is the chosen bearer of the covenant. Whatever else this passage is, it's about a wrestling match. And every Jewish interpreter concluded that it's a night of prayer. That's not to say that there wasn't a real wrestling match. I think there was dust flying and bodies bending, but it's also a prayerful wrestling meeting with God. From every interpreter, from Jerome onward, it represented a prayer battle, long and earnest. The story, the story might seem strange until I say to you, who in here who watching by way of television, who among you has not spent an evening wrestling with God? You've been where Jacob is. I've been there. A sleepless night, tossing and turning on the restless bed as you fill it with tears and sweat and unease. Who among us has not wrestled with God? Here's a man who feels called into ministry, but ministry's not what he wants to do. And he says no to God, and God says yes. And he says no, and God says yes. And somewhere in the wee hours of the morning and the wrestling match with God, the no becomes a yes to God. You and I both know this morning that there are blessings, blessings that only God can give one interpreter says, power, success, and happiness can be given to anyone, but the real blessings of God, peace, and love, and joy are only from God. God changes Jacob's perspective. 
The deceiver is now the one who rules and reigns and strives alongside, wrestles alongside God. You cannot, congregation, wrestle with God all night long and not walk away differently. And Jacob does. He limps. Jacob thinks he's gotten what he wants from God. But in reality, God has gotten what he wants from Jacob. No struggle with God is pleasant. And those struggles, those wrestling matches with God like Jacob's come in the wee hours of the night, weary of mind and tired of body, we awake, however, like Jacob did, to new possibilities on the horizon of our life, for we too become the bearers of a new name. We say yes to God and no to self. We become, we become called the sons and daughters of God. We wrestle with God. We want to do things our way instead of his way. We wrestle with God when like Jacob, we're grabbers of the hill, we're deceivers, we're trying to grab all that we can get rather than all obedience to the will and way of God. God can, does, and will take us to places and give us attitudes that take us out of our comfort zone they challenge us. And when he does, sometimes like Jacob, we wrestle with the Almighty. Jacob is changed by a new limp. This is no minor injury. Rather, he is wounded by his wrestling with God. Wrestling with God on this occasion for Jacob was not all about just healing, but also about crippling a new mark, a new Israel, a new name, Israel. Pleasant twist and a change from Jacob to be sure, but it cannot be separated from the new crippling, the new limp with which Jacob walks. Having penetrated the mystery of God in the night like none before him, Jacob arises a crippled man. He has prevailed with a blessing, but his prevailing is a defeat as well as a victory. There are no untroubled victories with the Holy One, none. When Jacob declares in Genesis 28 that God is in his place, it is both a cause for dread as much as it is a cause for rejoicing. That limp affirms that only God is God and Jacob is now a cripple with a blessing and Israel as a people now must ponder the blessings of God are given to them with great responsibility and with great cost. Weakness is found in power and power is found in weakness. And in the New Testament... That limp becomes evidence in the cross of our Christ. You remember another wrestler with God in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has a prayer wrestling match with God. God, he's all human. Remember, I know he's all God. I don't have to remind you of that, but I do need to remind you he's all human and he's facing the cross and he prays for God to take the cross away. And in the end of the wrestling match, God, not my will, but your will be done. And the limp, the crippleness becomes the cross. Like Jacob, want a blessing. Knowing the name of the divine in order to control him, the disciples want thrones and power. They, they talk about thrones and power and where they're going to sit. And Jesus did, talks about cups and suffering and baptisms and crosses. 
Will you drink the cup that I drink? Will you be able to take on the baptism that I take on? Like Jacob, they're invited to be persons of faith who prevail, but they are going to have to limp as disciples, as followers of Jesus. And because Jacob sees God, he, see, he lives in a new way. His new way involves the limp. God will not be taken lightly or easily by you or Jacob. Now, in Genesis 32, 20, Jacob says, remember, he sends all these presents of flocks and sheep and camels. He sends wave after wave to Esau. Esau's coming. He thinks Esau's coming to kill him. He's fearful. It's been two decades. It's been 20 years. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? And then he says, after I've given him all these gifts, maybe it will soften his heart. Something of a bribe here is Genesis 32. And he says, after this, I will see his face. The story begins in in Genesis 32, 20, and Jacob is going to see the face of Esau. And then in a wrestling match with God, he says, I'll name this place Penuel because I have seen the Almighty face to face. And then the next chapter, Genesis 33, 10, he says, says to Esau, if I found favor in your sight, take my presence for I see your face as one sees the face of God. He's wanting to see the face of Esau. Instead, he wrestles and sees the face of God. And then when he sees the face of Esau, he says, it's like seeing the face of God. This story begins about reconciliation to a brother. And in the middle of this reconciliation and wrestling with God, and then and only then can there be reconciliation with a brother. You see that in this passage? The only way that you and I ever become reconciled in our broken relationships with our family and our friends and our acquaintances is if we're first reconciled with God Almighty through a wrestling match, through the cross of Christ and redemption. And then we can see her face or his face as the face of God. In Genesis 33, 4, Esau runs to meet him He kisses him and they weep. Some of you here this morning, you've been wrestling with God. You've been in the middle of the match with the the man of mass confusion. It's your will and God's will and they're in conflict. And God, God wrestles with you because he loves you and cares for you. He wants you to see him face to face. He wants you to be his child. He wants to give you a new name. Let's pray. Oh God, there's some here in this room, some watching by way of television who need that new name. Some who this very sermon for them has been a wrestling with God and and their nights have been sleepless and their bed has been troubled. They've met the almighty time and time again. He wants to give them a new name. He wants to call them son. He wants to call her daughter. And Jesus wants to call them brothers. Father, for those who are wrestling even now, may they see the wrestling match of Jacob and know that God will bless them when they yield. But in the end, they'll walk a new way And it'll be just a bit 
of a limp. In Jesus' name, amen.